0: The ball was in my court. All the choices were mine. Hit it long, hit it short, or don't hit it at all. Faking it, we've all done it. Those of us who haven't done it are thinking about doing it. And sometimes doing it and thinking about doing it, are the same thing. Welcome to Tank City. No main streets. Just a cobweb of dimly lit back alleys. Where well, you might be surprised just who you bump into. I was accused of tanking. Um, so tanking is around and like, no, I played frustrated the last couple of games. I was young and I was crazy and
1: uh, I was so fed up with my game and I just started to go for big shots. And
0: In this podcast, we're going to look at the different ways that tanking can manifest and a mm-hmm. different way it can be used mm-hmm. as well. And it's almost the
1: last thing that you want to be accused of yeah. in tennis is tanking. Now, what is tanking? To me, sum it up in two words. It's not trying. It doesn't sound so bad, does it? It doesn't sound so bad we've all done it and it's against the rules too buzz did you know that it's against the rules to not try it's an interesting rule though when you think about it because it's very subjective it is it comes under something called the best effort clause so you're not giving your best effort and as you say very subjective sometimes your best effort one week isn't going to be your best effort the next week you're a saturday
0: kind of player do you know what i mean I think that they're talking about something different to that. They're not talking about a shot here or there. I think they're talking about when you can tell they've stopped trying. There's a kind of edge that tennis players generally walk along where there's intention, there's concentration, Mm. there's physical effort. Now, suddenly when some of those just seem to crumble away and there's a lackadaisical attitude, for everyone involved, it's like, okay, there's something going on here.
1: What's the difference between losing your temper, losing concentration, and tanking? that so they all blur together. Sometimes you can't control it. it comes out of you, do you think, as an involuntary response to a stressful situation. Right. And
0: other times you can use it to your
1: advantage. As we'll find out. I want you to get up now. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it and stick your head out and yell, I'm as mad as hell and I'm not going to take this anymore!
0: The thing about tanking is that it's news. Why is it that it evokes such a response in all of us, really? Well, how do you feel when you see a player obviously tanking personally? What's your response? It depends on the situation to me. It depends on the context. Generally mm. speaking, it's very frustrating because mm. I'm there to watch a tennis match. Right. If they tank one point, well, okay, maybe they are just getting that out of their system. If they tank a game, mm. then you're thinking, well, this is going to be terminal tank a set or the better part of a set are they able to pull themselves out of this at any point obviously the peculiarities of the tennis scoring system if you're down five love you might tank a game but it's how you do it that's important yes
1: the authorities would rather that you pretend to be trying rather than not honestly present yourself as not trying yes exactly I noticed that you didn't directly answer that question. You did at first, you said you feel frustrated. Do you feel angry at the player when you see them tanking?
0: Most people get angry at the player. I wanna shake them almost and say, come on, let's go. Is that yeah. an your question? or have I evaded again? Because I've got my lawyer waiting outside and if this goes any further. I was wondering who that was. Yeah. But crowds don't like it. It's the intensity
1: of the reaction that it provokes that but I find interesting. Right. Why does it have to be anger? Why can't it be just mild frustration or why do you even care? Why are you watching a match of tennis? Well, I think different people watch a match of tennis for different reasons. Some go to to watch Nick Kyrgios do something out of the box. They don't care what it is, they're waiting for an explosion. Some people go to watch a
0: contest. I would assume most people go to watch a contest. Mm. And so when someone's tanking, that contest isn't happening anymore. Mm. But if you're going to watch a match that
1: involves a player who's a serial tanker and you know that that's on the cards, I think often Kuros has said, well, you know what I'm like. Don't come and watch me, which is fair enough in his own way. And people, I think, do go to watch to see something.
0: Do you think when we identify with tennis players, sometimes you see sporting parents and they're living vicariously through their children. They get really frustrated when their children aren't doing well yeah. in sport. And you think, oh, come on, come on. Do you think there's a part of that when we're watching tennis, we're sort of identifying with a player, when they're not trying it's a part of us that's going, well, that could be me, mm. but I don't come here to watch me. I come here to watch you and mm. I want to identify with you doing your best. So have they broken
1: an unspoken pact between sports person... And audience member, spectator, whatever you want to call it. The understanding is, I'm paying my money to come and see you play. I enjoy the sport. I want to watch a contest. You've now violated my trust by not trying.
0: I think so. And I Mm. think it's actually very specific to tennis. Yeah, well, yeah. a lot of team sports, unless they're, they're taking bribes or something, it's very rare for a team yeah. to consciously do it. They might be in a, in a low state and they're not playing well together because mm. that can happen in team sports. I think in boxing, if you do that, you're in big trouble. But truly, I think yeah. it's very specific to the game of tennis and the way it's set up. Mm, but I think
1: you hit on a point there in terms of talking about bribery. The tennis authorities are very, very sensitive to the whole match fixing. Yeah. And that's why I think they come down hard. On tanking I think that's where they're worried about the whole thing leading and the sport itself being stained yeah that's a good point and that's it and that's why I think there's that response from the authorities that well that's one response I think it's
0: get a hell out of them yeah, yeah because it could create all sorts of serious implications for the sport I mean can you imagine if you had your hard-earned money on someone who starts to tank it'd be very frustrating mm-hmm. but that's just you betting on someone. If there's any indication that the player themselves is tanking because they want a payday, that wouldn't usually happen at a mm. lower level, yeah. But could still, you know, yeah. So it is a problem in the sense that
1: it has some uh, possible consequences, as well as on a more
0: surface level where we don't like watching a player not giving their best. I think it's especially so if you're in a stadium and you paid money to Mm -hmm. see. I mean, you pay good money to go and see tennis. On television, you just change the channel. Yeah, to something else that has no meaning whatsoever. You can watch Mm -hmm. some reality television. None of them are trying. That's just one big tank, really. Buzz, could you do me a favour and just change the channel now? Yeah.
1: Paul set there when you were bageled and then turned it around.
0: So well, you just answered
1: how... your own question there, didn't you? Does that show how unpredictable you are? Yeah, I mean, I'm just... Like, if a, box... if a boxer puts his hands down in a fight, does that mean he's not trying? Yes? No? Well, what's that? It means he's trying or means he's not trying? Could be could either, be. couldn't it? Could be a tactic, couldn't it? Yeah. And how'd the tactic pay off today? Good question. That's Nick Kyrgios referring to letting go of a fourth set as a tactic at Wimbledon against Jordan Thompson. So we're going to drift a little now and move away from what I would call an off the shelf tank to something a little bit more bespoke and talk about tanking as strategy.
0: I watched that Kyrgios Thompson match mm-hmm. and Kyrgios is an interesting cat as we all know. Mm. And when he started to do that in the fourth set I thought to myself well that match is gone." It was a very clever tactic. So what he's given up an entire set in order to be ready for the fifth set Mm. and to throw his opponent off. Mm. One thing to say about that is it works more in a five set match, Mm. which is more going to be for the men than for the women, Mm -hmm. because you often have time. But sorry, Buzz, I've never heard this discussed
1: before, but is tanking gender based? Have you Think, ever seen women tanking? I haven't. I can't. Yeah, remember. I've
0: seen women tanking in a lesser manner yeah. than men, a less overt manner, but they certainly have tanked. Right. The examples I've seen are not the same as men. So no. I don't have, I don't want to make any assumptions no. and say it is gender-based, obviously. No. But it's very, very interesting. You don't see the women tanking as much, or maybe they're more subtle yeah. at it.
1: Yeah, perhaps. But just to encapsulate, we're talking about tanking in order to conserve energy so that you can go on to try
0: and win the match. I don't think it's just conserving energy. I think sometimes it's a reset and you are trying to also throw your opponent off. It could only be a very short-lived thing. It could be a game. And I think you can use it in that way. You're not necessarily saying, I'm going to be fitter because of this. I think what you're doing is you're in trouble. You're just trying to reset the psychological calibration of the game. Mm. And I think that can be used as well as strategy.
1: So if you feel that your opponent, and you can feel this on a tennis court, is in the zone, do you sometimes say, well, I'm just gonna let this set go, let this guy or this girl play themselves out of the zone? Because we all know that what happens when a set ends, it's a marking point. So things stop, not only because there's a change of events, but there's a point there where everyone recalibrates.
0: So you go, hopefully, last set, we can't both coming out. Yes. yeah. That's right. I think the other thing is that it gives you a plan. Mm. Sometimes I think for some players who are known to tank, whether it's a game or mm. a, few, a series of games, they're in trouble. No matter how hard they try to get themselves out of this trouble, they can't do it. Mm. What the tank does is it resets them and gives them a plan to say, okay, I'm going to try something... And just the intent of trying a very definite strategy is enough to kick them back in. Mm. It's almost like it's a heart starter. Yeah. You know, like defibrillators. Mm. And some of them have tried that, and that was a mistake. Mm. But (laughs) (laughs) when it's used like that, it doesn't excuse the tank. Because even as I'm saying that, I'm thinking, oh, that's a very clever tactic, but I don't approve. Should there be
1: that disapproval if the end result of a player employing that tactic
0: wins him... ...or her matches. It's as valid as playing short balls... ...as playing junk balls... ...serving playing, underarm... ...serving underarm... ...drop shots... ...anything you mm. think of. Yeah. You know, all have varying degrees of acceptability. Obviously, mm. a drop shot is very acceptable, but... Mm. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, yes. yeah. What about
1: when we look at... Uh, ...again, tanking a strategy... ...but within a long-term plan of a tournament... ...and there's a, a famous incident goes back to 1980. Grand Prix New York Masters, round-robin event, where Ivan Lendl was accused of deliberately losing to Jimmy Connors in order to avoid playing Bjorn Borg in a semi-final.
0: Yeah, amazing, mm. isn't it? And it only works in a round-robin format. It yeah. can't work in a normal Grand Slam because you're out. That's right. Yeah.
1: That's right. What about there? How do you feel about
0: that? I don't think it's in the spirit of the game at all because Mm. it's just not a contest. I think when tanking is used as strategy to win a match, Mm. the match won't end with tanking. It will end with good tennis. There's Mm. good tennis being played and the person who's using it as strategy is trying to win the match. Yeah. Someone who tanks a match halfway through and loses, it's really disappointing but you can almost put that down to a psychological breakdown. Mm. When someone goes into a match, it's almost as bad as match fixing to mm. me. Yeah, this has just that something aura, doesn't
1: it? Uh, absolutely. It has a stench about it. Ah, uh, hey. I can still smell it from 1980.
0: What's a different way of doing it? Trying to walk to beat Novak. It's working. Ouch thought he loved to break point look at Monfils what's he doing <laughs> <laughs> he's just boy oh boy that is amazing Monfils. what an absolute breakdown oh, standing boy. around and just bunting the one-handed slice backhand five love to five three Got him. He hates no pace, Novak. We know that. This is working. Now, that's Gay Monfils. Monfils? Monfils? How do you pronounce it? Are
1: you OK? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I was just clearing
0: my throat. Monfils. Oh, that's beautiful. Mm. I've stuff man. move, mate. <laughs> but he was playing Novak Djokovic, trailing by 5-love in the first set. Mm-hmm. And Monfils, he began to hit loops and and chip balls back into the centre of the court. He wasn't moving his feet. He was just playing as if he Mm. didn't have a care in the world. He was just with his mates, you know, playing down at the beach or something. Yeah. But the funny thing was the tactic worked. Mm. He pulled back the score to 5-3, played more conventionally after that. Yeah. But he defended his tactics as a way of working himself back into the match. And I Mm. think that's really interesting. That's what I was talking about before. I think... There are times when that is valid. I do too. And I think it's something some players
1: have in the back room of their minds to say, if I play somebody who's just absolutely destroying me out here through pace of shot, then why will I keep giving that person what they're using to beat me? Why yeah. would you?
0: Yeah,
1: I-, I agree. I think people call it junking it up. Just changing the rhythm, taking taking the pace away from, from a player who's mm. obviously
0: relishing it. Do you think there are certain playing styles that lend themselves to tanking? Now, I can never imagine a Rafael Nadal and Novak Djokovic or a Roger Federer tanking in the way we're talking about. But Guy Monfils, mm. Nick Curios, they're more mercurial players who live on a kind of edge of their talent. It's a very. There are different kinds of players to me. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But
1: here's a question for you, as a hack tennis player like I am, <laughs> like <there's, laughs> like thousands, millions of us are. I contend that it's not that hard to be able to lose a match on purpose, but make it look as though you're
0: trying. What do you think? I think yes. Mm. I think anyone could do it's it. It's easy to do if, once you, you if play you've got a regularly. Certain, a certain level. You can do and it. And it's not a high level. No. Just a certain level. You can do it and mask it Mm. and although if you are going to do it it's very easy then to make it obvious that you are doing it so you have to be on top of what you're doing oh and that's got to be your intention that you're going to tank it
1: it's not
0: a big jump from
1: hitting great shots and looking like you're hitting great shots to looking like you're hitting great shots but dumping them in the top of the net hitting that forehand you look like you're trying but you know yeah. You've just looped it up or kicked it up a little bit too hard. so I just have to play normally. <laughs> <laughs> but how many times could that have happened and we would never have known? Exactly. When a player earns a nickname based on a history of their tanking, Buzz, we really have no choice but to feature him in a podcast about tanking. Don't you agree? No choice. No, And of course, we're talking about Bernard Tomic, known to all and sundry primarily for his lack of effort in many, many matches now.
0: It's a lot of matches. It's really adding up. Where is he ranked now? He must be real low. Uh,
1: I think he's outside the top 100 Mm -hmm. uh, as of the date of this podcast. At one point, it reached, I think, as high as... 15,
0: 17. Well, remember when he burst onto the scene, it was actually a breath of fresh air because the way he played mm. was very different to what would seem to be a cookie cutter factory of the type of players who yeah. were being produced. Mm. He played a very relaxed, tactical game. Yeah. Uh, he had that slapping forehand. He played a very yeah. deep casual slice. It was It was good to watch, too. It was. Very good to watch. And the idea was that he was the next big thing. Yeah. There was that little vibe just for a little while there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. For sure.
1: Do you mind if we just now look at a few instances here? Let's do it. I Let's think we it. need to because we, we want to go into a few details. Yeah, yeah. For sure. Now, for sure. Bernie has the distinction of losing the quickest match on the ATP tour since records were taken from 1991. Must so... Must be very proud. He lost to Yarko Niemann in 2014 love and one it happens you can lose a match love and one absolutely this was in 28 minutes 28 minutes is fast yes so you
0: think about that's 13 games mm. those game and you've got a break in between i was going
1: to say buzz you throw in six changes of ends lasting a minute all the time in between points, there was an evacuation of the stadium due to a bomb scare, and, you know, we're left about 40 seconds of tennis in a match. I mean, I think the warm-up lasted longer than the match. Well, I hear
0: he phoned in the bomb scare.
1: He had time to do that? Yeah.
0: Right, OK. Well, that's And that was a great warm-up. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. think he, ex- didn't he expended
1: everything in the warm-up. He possibly did, but it begs belief. When you read those kind of figures and statistics... And, of course, Bernie also lost the second quickest match at Wimbledon since records were noted. In 2019, this was a match against Songer. 6-2, 6-1, 6-4. This is three sets. This was 58 minutes, and he got fined a whopping 45,000 pounds. Now, I think that's in dispute as we speak. is it? Oh, but it was absolutely
0: massive. But that's his, like, first-round losers, chest? Oh, possibly would have accounted right. for that. I and mean, it's no crime losing to Jeb Wilfred Song, a great player. No, but
1: and the score, like two, one and four, it can happen. But I'm just wondering, Buzz, do you think maybe Bernie, we've misunderstood him, is he just a, a player with an eye on the record
0: books? Has well, he's in there twice now. That's what I'm mm-hmm. saying. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> maybe he realised he was never going to get there any other way. With that particular match, six two, six one, yeah. that's got tank written all over it. Hasn't it? Six four though. I know. He's trying, surely. You would think so. You would think so,
1: or perhaps he suffers from being judged on the way he plays. You know, how sometimes he can look disinterested and that's yes.
0: just how he comports himself. But then when he makes comments to people in the audience Uh, about, you know, well, I've got, you know, houses in these countries and I'm earning this much money and what have you got? Doesn't do himself any favours. He's not doing himself any favours, no. Okay, but doesn't in there
1: with Bernie, of course. There's more. There's more, yes. Hit me. He claimed that he was bored by Wimbledon. Comments which cost him the support of his racket sponsor. (laughs) So, I believe it was head. Decided to pull the plug after Vernick said that he was bored with Wimbledon. Now, is there anything to the argument buzz, you know, being put forward by some players that Wimbledon has a social obligation to be a little bit more proactive in those areas in terms of entertainment? What do you mean for players? Well, oh, because he's bored. Yeah, is Wimbledon is Wimbledon boring? Is there a problem with Wimbledon? I'm just looking at all sides of the you, equation here. Are you thinking during the match? Are you thinking between matches? You I think just think generally. As soon as you walk through the gates of Wimbledon, is it boring? Does it feel boring? Are are there, it
0: should be more like Disneyland, perhaps. I don't know. I don't know what Bernie's thinking. They should have rides. Now, now we're talking. Around the top of the stadium, like a roller coaster. like sort of undulates
1: around the top of the stadium as the players are playing. Yeah, maybe there are horses out the front where that's how you went to Wimbledon. Everyone pays to get a t- gets to ride in. I don't know. I'm just throwing some ideas yeah, out there, but yeah. Bernie was, was bored. And unfortunately, of course, we're, we're pulling your leg a little here simply because we don't quite know how to treat Bernie. I certainly don't. Buzz, I don't know what your view is.
0: Bernie is an interesting one, and I think the rise of Nick Kyrgios has put him in a different shade because mm. he was a great Australian hope. Yeah. And now Nick Kyrgios has come up. And he's the great Australian hope. And they're both tankers. And they're both tankers. So and what's going to happen both, when
1: they both play?
0: And they both have a problem with the game Is if they don't really want it, they don't really want to win, they don't want to be the champion, they don't want to do this and that. Well, what is it about that generation of Australians? What, how have they been let down? I don't know. I'm just interested in
1: when they play, though. What's going to happen? Are they going to bring some beds out onto the court? Have a sleep
0: off? We don't care. I'd rather go to sleep. This might be... Slightly off topic. Do you see Bernie Tomic bringing it back? No. I'm struggling to see him bringing it back. Kirios has done well <sighs> because on his day, he's won tournaments. On mm. his day, he's unbeatable by anyone. Tomek's style, yeah. he needs to be on top of it mentally he's in been, order to work that. He's been passed anyway in terms of yeah. like the, the
1: game's passed him by. And I also think that some players get to a point with their behavior where it's just the end of the road. Do you remember Jim Courier towards the end of his career when he started bringing a novel onto court that he would read? Yes. And I looked at that and I thought, you need to retire, I think. But is there anything wrong with reading a novel in between points in the tennis match? It strikes me as yes, there is an issue there. If you pull out a novel to start reading in between... Well, particularly when he insisted on reading a whole chapter. Yeah. Grabbing the umpire's microphone... (laughs) listen to this bit hey, those players are <laughs> waiting to return
0: serve I mean look the tennis life is not easy no and people people hold it up as being glamorous mm. and it's anything but it's, it's a difficult life yeah that they they can be very well compensated for yeah but the life itself you have to love the life I don't think he loves the life no I doubt that Kyrgios does either I think mm. someone like Roger Federer loves the life well, and that's why he's still there
1: yeah he's something for you we have physios attending tennis matches. Why not have psychiatrists waiting there in the wings? Yeah, the physio's is there waiting to come on. Why not? Where they're having problems, why not deal with them on the change of ends? So you saying that goes up to the
0: umpire and says, Oh, can I have a uh, psychiatrist break, yeah. please?
1: I got my wheels out of couch, comes on like, you know, instead of lying down on town getting his back done done over by a physio, he lies on the couch
0: for a minute. So it like all goes which, to work. It all began when my father wouldn't take me to the circus.
1: Could I was that. an impressionable child. Well, that could you imagine, thing. though? Playing the match and resolving your mental demons by the end of it. Well, where do you stop? I mean, could you bring a hypnotist out? Well, now you're being ridiculous. Two tennis giants. Big Bill Tilden and Teddy Shingles. Of course, Big Bill can't be with us today, but Teddy can. Teddy, thank you for joining us in this podcast on tanking. Well, it's a very interesting subject, Dreamer. Pleasure to be here. Now, Big Bill, as we all know, was a larger-than-life character and almost invented the sport as we know it today in many ways. One thing that Big Bill also was was very theatrical, Teddy, He loved to be the centre of attention. And in this podcast on tanking, we're going to look at the way Big Bill used tanking as part of that theatrical arsenal to give them a show. And this would be usually throwing the first two sets of a match, usually a five set match, and seemingly appearing down and out in the third set before making the most dramatic
0: of comebacks. Well, Bill Tilden was something of a phenomenon. And when he was at his peak, he was almost like a professional playing with amateurs. Mm. That's how it looked, because he could do anything on a tennis court. I think we look at tennis players today and say, well, they're incredible. Mm. If you see some footage of Bill Tilden, mm. what he could do in the 1920s, it'd blow your head off. I've seen some of that
1: footage, and, and you're right, Teddy. He was very much a showman.
0: Oh, absolutely. Mm. Like these days we talk about tanking and it has such a negative connotation. Yeah. I think you can say tennis now is a mature sport. Mm. In those days it wasn't. There was a little bit of the cowboy about the whole thing. Mm. And when Bill decided he wanted to give the crowd a show, well, who was going to stop him? Certainly not
1: I. Yeah, and of course the crowds flocked to his matches. There's a famous instance of a tournament, a minor tournament in Philadelphia, where the stadium was packed to capacity... Waiting for this first round match. Tilden had sent a telegram in advance saying that he was on his way. But the match had to start. And the crowd was getting very angry. Now they wanted to see a match whether or not he was there. So the match started
0: without Big Bill. Yes, and his presence was so great that people hardly noticed. But when he did show up, in the middle of a point, he won the point. Mm. No warm-up. Just walked out on the court, it was incredible. So what happened, the umpire would be calling the score,
1: obviously Tilden wasn't there, his opponent was, and the match proceeded
0: where Tilden was obviously losing, having points scored against him. He wasn't losing every point. There so were some double points and also some passing shots he apparently hit that nobody saw. It was one of those theatrical things in those days. That's what I mean by a cowboy situation. He hit a beautiful lot. Well, I think it was him, but it, well, there was no one there, was there? Mm. But the ball apparently hit the back of the line so and so- everyone applauded and, and the umpire stood up in his chair mm. and shouted out, Hoo! Hold on. You're telling me
1: that there was some kind of mass hypnotic effect occurring whereas everybody was imagining that they were seeing Big Bill Tilden, even though his physical bodily presence wasn't there.
0: Well, the craving for Tilden, as it was known, was so intense, they would see what they wanted to see.
1: Mm. And then he eventually did arrive wearing that long mohair coat, clutching half a dozen Bancroft rackets. What happened then? Because obviously the
0: crowd had figured they'd been watching Tilden, and then to see Tilden emerge... But a woman next to me shouted out, I'm seeing double. Somebody help me. It was quite a strange phenomenon. But mm. Tilden was larger than life. Remember mm. that. He mm. was larger than life. His influence on the game is almost unparalleled mm. when you think about it. I think you are, you and know what I'm saying, Rima, being a, a wonderful, mm. wonderful student of the game. Big Bill had his problems mm. and we've, it's well documented. Yeah. He was a wonderful man. I've got nothing to say against him.
1: Uh, he used to play the circuit on the Riviera. He used to play that group of tournaments. Again, very famous instance where he arrived for his final on a stretcher, half unconscious to play his final. Apparently the crowd just stood up and applauded, but this was how he arrived to take that final on and he was very slow out of the gates. But can you tell us about that day? I mean, that entrance that he made.
0: Well, it wasn't theatrical. He was genuinely half-concussed. Before the match, I was in his hotel room And Bill was entertaining a large number of people as he would. Bill was such an entertainer and he hated to be alone. Mm. He loved having people around him. And at one stage, I don't know how it happened on the Riviera, but someone brought a donkey into the room and and the question was, well, how do you make a donkey kick? And Bill said, I'll show you how to make a donkey kick. And he stood behind the donkey and shouted out something in Persian. The donkey kicked. And Bill's head snapped back. And we thought, well, that's the end of Bill. But, you know, Bill's neck muscles were so taut. Mm. Yes, yes. Uh, legendary. Legendary neck muscles and a legendary man. <laughs> mm. Now, what I always found interesting about
1: Big Bill Tilton was the way he would deliberately throw a point in the favour of his opponent if he objected to sloppy line calling or bad officiating.
0: He would absolutely drive him wild with anger. Yes, he hated it. A number of occasions I saw this happen, but it wasn't only lying calls or other things. I think once he heard an audience member say that the ice cream had been given by the vendor was a little bit sloppy and he reacted to that as well and threw a whole set. He was trigger happy in terms of that. He, he just, anything could set Everything him off. Everything had to be perfect. For the spectators and,
1: and for the enjoyment of the crowd. He had a
0: drive for perfection that i would rarely seen in anybody else. Wow,
1: that's that's amazing. Yes. Yes, I've never heard that story about the ice cream.
0: No, well, mm. very few people have, and it didn't stop there. Mm. He once walked onto court in a mink coat, a full-length mink coat yeah. and a raccoon hat. Mm. And he was unhappy at the way that the, the length of the coat had been cut. Mm. He decided to play the entire match in the coat just to show the maker that it was too long. And when he went to serve, he tripped over a number of times. And, uh, you know, the opponent was looking at him, the opponent was in long white trousers and the customary white shirt, obviously smoking a cigarette in between points and having a martini. But -hmm. there was Big Bill Tilden in his large mink coat. I'll never forget that. He was Mm. sweating bullets that day. Yeah. Teddy, can you take us from
1: the 20s and Big Bill into the 50s and 60s, into the, the world, the murky world of professional... Tennis. We're talking about the tennis troops first organized by Jack Kramer and then I believe the players would organize these troops themselves where they would just hightail it across the country usually through the continents playing themselves in various stage tournaments. I believe and I'd like you to clarify or confirm this for us something called well I'm referring to it as the tanking code where Players, and this is to give the audience their money's worth, if they were playing a three-set match, it was agreed that they would split the first two sets, but the third set would be
0: played to the death. Now, did that occur? Was that kind of arrangement in place? Absolutely it was. I saw it firsthand. Mm. I saw people plotting before matches to do it. Now, you've got to remember, before the judgment rains down as it comes these days and things like social media and the outrage that we Mm. see today... That tennis today is a firm footing, a firm financial footing, and it's mm. incredibly popular. In those days, however, mm. it was not the same. It was a popular sport, but in terms of professional and making a quid out of the sport, as they would say, yeah. well, it was very tough. Yeah. They had to give the audience what they wanted to mm. a certain degree in order to keep the audience coming back.
1: Yeah, yeah no, uh, totally understandable. But how tightly scripted
0: were these uh, arrangements It did depend on the players and it depended where they were playing. Sometimes they were given the script the night before and it was almost like Hamlet. They had to learn every word, every phrase, every shot. Mm. And if they got it wrong, well, there was Jack Kramer up on the grandstand with a megaphone shouting things out. There were times, I remember, when Rod Laver looked up and shouted out, line! So
1: so Kramer almost became this dramatic impresario with his troupe where he would insist on dialogue at various points of missing a shot. You you had to come up with the right line, and, and if he wasn't happy with how you delivered the line,
0: he'd make you do it again and again and again. It's a testament to those fine players that they're able to pull it off, even sometimes a complaint to the umpire. Hmm. You know, Kramer had a series of of, uh, signals and he'd give the players and they would look up at him and sometimes they'd misinterpret uh, Mm. because they had so many singles. They they had a book of signals they had to learn. It was like a telephone book in those days, very thick. They had to learn every single signal. And there were some very, very ob- oblique signals that they had to learn. I remember once uh, there was, a, excuse me, there was Pancho Gonzalez on court. Mm. He looks up and he, obviously the Kramer had made a signal, but he didn't misinterpret it. Right. Suddenly Gonzalez was trying to impersonate a camel on the court. He was trying to form a hump with his back. I knew because I knew the book and that was on page about 46, I believe. I don't know. This or, was for the...
1: Uh, a match played in Egypt normally where Kramer would bring out that signal to placate the crowd. Well, you'd
0: only hope so. Right. I have no idea why there was a camel in the book. But there, mm. there was of Gonzalez. It was a very strange sight. Now, th- so this is
1: in effect is a precursor to professional wrestling. We're talking here where things were scripted, went to plan, whereas I know with professional wrestling, I'm, I'm not sure about the authenticity. I know there's a lot of shenanigans going on there in terms of acting, but... There's no,
0: more than shenanigans, no, I can tell you that. No, no, And
1: uh, what about Pancho Segura? Apparently, Kramer felt that out of all of his troop, in terms of following a script,
0: there was nobody like Segura. He was the Olivier, the Gilgood, He was the Daniel Day-Lewis, if you like, of that entire troupe.
1: And what the, was it
0: about this bow-legged? Uh, he had a charisma, but I wouldn't have thought that he had any kind of thespian qualities about him. Well, very surprising to everything. Sometimes people have hidden talents, and Mm. it's only when they're thrown into the deep end that they understand. It became quickly apparent that he was the greatest of them all, Mm. and they paid homage. Even those who, uh, for example, Rod Laver was at his feet and worshipping him for his ability yeah. to, to hit a backhand on cue exactly where he mm. wanted and then to shout Discline. or something yeah, into the crowd or whatever it was. But mm. nobody in the audience ever knew. Sometimes mm. with the other players, there'd be a sense of, oh, was that, was that scripted? Mm. The Suguru, he brought them to tears. Yeah. He yeah. brought them to laughter. Yes, yes. He brought them with heart mm. and soul and just the greatness of Saguru. I, I don't know if I'm expressing this no, well. No, no, that's it's wonderful. I mean, and this is no slight on them. Uh,
1: we love Laver and, and Rosewall as tennis players, but I, I somehow imagine that they'd be a
0: little wooden with their, with their deliveries. Wooden? Hardwood. They were the worst of all, and I think they tried and they tried, but mm. in his efforts, Kramer actually sent them on a tour of the English Midlands to do Shakespeare. Now you haven't lived until you've seen mm. Ken Roswell as King Richard III. No, no. Rod Laver was wonderful as Ophelia in Hamlet.
1: Well, Teddy, on that beautiful image that you've painted for us, I don't know if there's much more to say here. And thank you
0: very much. Well, once again, Remo, it's an absolute pleasure give my regards to Buzz and everybody out there. Again, I can only thank you for this podcast and for what you're spreading. The knowledge I have is not something I keep for myself. Teddy, we have have to go now. It's something for everybody in the world. I hope one day it goes beyond this world and to other planets. I've often dreamed of travelling to Mars in my dreams. just unplug that that mic. Levels there. There's nothing I can... man, what are you up to?
1: You know that cheese spread I was telling you about last week? I'm writing a five-star review.
0: What? The, the one where you keep finding the remains of crushed insects at the bottom of the jar? Oh, you should be threatening to sue.
1: Are you kidding? Man, I love that cheese spread. That combo of smooth and crunch really does it for me.
0: But the crunch part of that is... I
1: figure the more people I tell about it, the better chance they've got of selling more and staying in business.
0: Yeah, what part of crushed
1: insects... Because I tell you right now... Cheese spread is not a world I choose to know. Matt, are you singing? Without that daily creamy crunch, cheese will no doubt flow. Where the hell do you get the orcus? Our world without cheese spread is not a world I choose to know.
0: Uh, mate, sorry I I have to go.